Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Now, I've been a property investor for almost 20 years now and I've faced many challenges over those 20 years and also had many good days. But my, literally my first 10 years in property, everything I did, I did incorrectly. I, I bought the wrong types of properties in the wrong areas, in the wrong ways, just everything was wrong. I was so good at property in my first 10 years, I actually built a debt. That's not what you're meant to do, but that's what I did. Um, I learned how to do property correctly, found progressive property, um, it learned and invested in my education around how to be a proper property investor. And over the last sort of nine years, have scaled up a, a multi, multi-million pound property portfolio. So the value of the portfolio today is worth well in excess of 10 million pounds. In fact, the latest deal we've just secured, which is a, we've bought a commercial building that was an old theater or cinema. We're gonna be converting it into around 20 apartments. That one deal alone is gonna be worth um, more than two million pounds in, in itself. So quite a significant portfolio today. Now that actually brings its own challenges. When you grow a large property portfolio, you have to, not just grow the portfolio, but you've got to grow as a person, you've got to grow to deal with more challenges, dealing with having more tenants brings more rent arrears, more damage, but also more income. So there's upsides and downsides to everything. But when you grow a large portfolio, you cannot also do it alone. So when I started at Progressive, learning how to do property back in 2012, 2013, I did everything myself. I found the properties myself, I viewed them myself, I negotiated them myself, I I tenanted them myself, until the point where I managed to get my partner at the time, now my wife, out of her job, and and Linda, my wife, started working in the business, so she was kind of my first first and still own and and partner in that business, and um, when I say my only partner, my only life partner, I've got many JV partners, just to clarify, but um, Linda started to do all of the tenant management, all of the running of the business. So I focused on finding the deals and negotiating the deals, and she focused on the back-end management of those properties. Then we got married, had some kids, um, only about 12. (laughs) We got married, had a couple of kids, and Linda couldn't do the day-to-day management in the same way. But even so, because we were scaling the business up, It doesn't take any more time really to find a deal or any more time to negotiate a deal because you're only ever doing maybe one or two at a time. But the more properties you have in your business, the more management intensive it becomes. So in 2016, 2017, we started to take on our first staff. Now that grew into opening up our first office and that morphed into having a lettings business to manage the portfolio. And with that brings all of the challenges of business ownership, wages, um, you know, national insurance, staff issues, staff um, not getting on with each other, staff um, management issues in terms of making sure that you're tracking what they do. Are they doing what they should be doing? Are they putting in the effort they should be putting in? Are they showing up for work? Are they calling in sick when they're not really sick or are they really sick? 
So in this episode, I wanna to talk to you about scaling your property business. All the issues that will come with the scaling of your portfolio. They, all the bullshit that you gotta deal with as a property investor, as well as all the good sides, because a lot of the time people talk about all the upside. Obviously, when you get into property, you're gonna rent a house out, you're gonna make some money from that property from rental income. But what about the challenges? What about the obstacles? What about the things that you gotta deal with as you scale that portfolio? One or two houses, yeah, you can manage that on your own, maybe five or six. But when you start to scale up to 10, 20, 50, 60, 70, 100 plus properties, now you're going to need to build a team. So today's episode is about how to deal with those challenges. When I first started at Progressive Property learning how to do property correctly in 2012, um, all I wanted to do was get out of debt. I didn't think I'd build up the property portfolio I have today. I couldn't imagine it. It was a world away from where I am today. Literally, my first thought process, it wasn't even quit my job. It was just get out of debt. Once I got myself out of debt, then I focused on getting myself out of my job. In fact, I initially focused on getting my wife out of her job so that she could, um, number one, be bought into property, fall in love with property, but also help out in the property business. Once I'd Linda out of her job, then I got myself out of mine. Even at this stage, it was just replace my income. It wasn't scale this large business. So I guess for many people, when they start off in their property journey, they've got the vision already. They know they want to build a big business or they know exactly where they're trying to get to. For many people, they just want to have five houses. They just want a pension for retirement. So for me, my starting point was just replace my debt, get out of debt. Second, replace my income. Once that was done and I started to love property more and enjoy the game more, um, then I started to just do one deal at a time. And as you start to scale, what happens is the, the business starts to creak. The plan starts to creak. You've got to adjust your business plan to, to deal with that bigger business. You've got to start to take on the staff. I, was a, I used to be an employee. To be a business owner managing employees is a completely different world. Looking at the business from your point of view as a business owner rather than looking at it as the employee. So I guess a big benefit of being an employee is to understand that you can tell... Um, I, I guess a big benefit of being an employee is you can see life from their point of view, but as a business owner, you also have to make sure that that business is successful, make sure that that business is making enough money to be able to pay those employees and also um, ensure that the, you know, your family is looked after and you've got a good income for yourself as well. And you've got to get that balance right to be, have good people working for you that are motivated in their jobs, that enjoy their jobs and are rewarded in the right way for what they do. When I started to scale my property business, I didn't see myself or really learn how to be a business owner, a boss, a manager of people. And I, I'm really comfortable going out to find a deal. I know what a deal is. I know how to negotiate a deal. I know how to make money in property. I know how to raise money in property and find joint venture partners, private investor partners uh, to fund deals. All of that side is today it's second nature to me. But everybody has their own comfort zone. And for me, one of my own comfort zones would be the managing of the team, the scaling of the business, the, the, the time to deal with everything from the stuff that just annoys you, the petty stuff like people arguing in the office with each other or people um, you know, not happy with other staff members with each other, the little rumor mills of the office versus the, the managing of those staff and keeping them uh, motivated in their jobs and encouraged to 
you know, you know build into a job. Like when you somebody starts in a job and they say to you, um, what's the career path? And I'm looking and going, what's the career path? I've no idea. I'm a, I'm a small business with, you know, less than 10 employees. Um, you're not, you don't have one role to do. You've got to muck in and do a bit of everything. I'm not a corporate business like, you know, a Connells or, you know, own that they own William H. Brown and all these different agencies. I'm not one of those type, the sequence group. I'm not one of these type businesses. I'm literally just a one man band with my wife, business owner, who is hiring some staff to help me in my business where you're expected to do everything. You're expected to answer the phone. You're expected to clean the office. You're expected to you know, go out and do a viewing. You're expected to evict a tenant. You're expected to move in a tenant. You're expected to collect the rent. You're expected to do all the admin. Um, I'm looking for somebody that'll do a bit of everything. And that's where I was with my first staff member, because the first staff member's got to do everything. Then when you get to your second, third, fourth staff member, now you can start to separate jobs slightly and make one person responsible for the admin and one person maybe doing the viewings. But I went through some challenges on this because when one person does the viewings or maybe one person does the property inspections and I actually had a scenario of this where I hired a guy and his job back in 2019, his job was to do the property inspections and fill in an inspection paperwork to confirm he's checked the property correctly, you know, it's, everything's okay. But I found out after a few months that he was ticking the boxes, but not actually doing the inspections. And um, I should have known this because my background was a quality manager and I worked in a company called Lang O'Rourke as a quality manager. And we always had workers ticking boxes on forms without actually doing the work. But when I moved over to my property business, I somehow forgot that. So having to deal with number one, staff issues, but number two is staff that will find ways to not do the job they're meant to do to maybe save some time. And because he was out and about, he probably wasn't visiting the houses at all. He was out and about doing other stuff. And it took us almost a year to figure him out where we eventually found out that the tenants were complaining about the property's not been up to the right standard, been looked after in the right way, and they had complained to him about certain things that needed fixing, and he wasn't reporting them back to get them fixed because that meant more work for him. So we implemented a process where one person would inspect the properties one month, a totally different person would inspect it the next month, and then randomly every month, I would do spot checks of properties without telling the team which property I would go to until the day I was in the office and just decided to ask for a set of keys and go arrange a viewing of that property, mainly around houses in multiple occupation where you can visit the property without into the communal space without getting a, a meeting booked in with the tenants. Uh, if they're single at properties, then we do inspections every three months. One person would do it in three months, a different person would do it on month six. We've also moved on to a, over to an automated system, so they've got to not just tick a paper box on a, on a hardback bit of paper. What they have to do is do photographs on an online system. So they have to physically go around the property and take date-stamped photographs so we can see on the system when they were in the property, when the photographs were taken. So there's a lot of systems out there that can help you overcome um, challenges. But the thing is, if you've never run a business before, if you've never done it before, then you don't know the problem is a problem until it's happened to you, unless you get the ability to listen and learn off what I'm sharing with you today.
One of the other big challenges with staff is when you've got a small team, um, they'll typically chat to each other, get to know each other, become friends. And nothing wrong with staff becoming friends. It creates a good environment in the office. But then they'll go out in the evenings to drink together and eat together. And you have people that are on different wages because some have got more experience, some have got less experience. And one example is one staff member who um, was working with us but was going back to university and he was pretty good at his job. He was, he's gone through his NVQ and he got some pay rises because he'd earned it. He deserved it. He did his hours. He did extra. You know, he was of the attitude where I will put loads of work in, I'll do the work, and then I'll be rewarded when I'm seen to be doing the work. So a really good attitude. But he becomes friendly with another lad in the office who's just an apprentice. And the attitude of the apprentice is, if you pay me more, I'll do more. Um, which doesn't really go down well as a business owner because you should do to be rewarded. Do the work, show you're good at the job and then be rewarded. But because the two guys become mates, the one that's really good on on more money, he's leaving. He tells the apprentice that what he's earning, what he should be on. And the apprentice believes that because this other guy is leaving, that he should be on the money the more experienced guy is on because he sees in his own mind he's going to be taking on more work, he's going to be doing more stuff, even though we're looking to replace the other person. So this is where they start to hold you to ransom to believing they need more money, deserve more money, should be on more money, just because someone else in the office is on more money, even though that person is doing a different job a better job, more work, uh, has proven themselves, has been there longer. And these are challenges that you have to deal with. But it's when you happens to you for the first time, it's unsure how to deal with that, what to do with that. You almost want to say to them, just pack up your stuff and leave. I'll get someone else. But then you've got to find someone else. You've got to go maybe through recruitment process. It's going to cost you to recruit somebody else. And possibly they know this stuff. So there's lots of challenges that you can be held to ransom on. But as a business owner, you've got to hold your ground. You've got to pay people what you believe they are worth. Don't underpay people. Pay people what you believe they're worth. But certainly do not pay them more than they're worth just because they can hold you to ransom. If you do that, then you set a rod for your own back where you end up having to pay other people more because they'll talk to somebody else in the office and say, well, I put my foot down and I held him to ransom and I got more money, so you should do the same thing. It'll work for you too. And suddenly the whole thing's out of control and you don't have a business anymore because if it's not making any money, they all get made redundant and they lose their jobs. So then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where they can work as a team to build a business together. I'm having a moan now because staff, I love them, I need them, they need me, but it's got to be a team effort where they all work together, but you'll always have issues where they talk too much to each other. Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, he says, nobody is good at hiring, so you should get good at firing. Um, also, people say, you know, you should hire slow and fire fast. Um, I think you should hire slow and fire slow. Here's why. Because if you are hire fast and fire slow, if you hire slow, you could lose out on the best people who move quickly into a job. If you fire fast, you're not giving somebody an opportunity to prove themselves enough. So I would say hire quickly because 
you need to fill a role quite quickly. I would probably often look to hire two people, give them three months probation each, and after three months, keep the best one and fire the one that's not up to it. And if both of them are good, you keep both because a staff member is meant to bring in more money than you pay them. So they've got to be um, creating and incentivized to bring business into the building. Now, not every staff member is going to be able to bring business in. So an admin person is not going to be bringing in business. But if an admin person does enough admin that the sales type person, that the management people have got more free time to speak to more clients to bring more business in, then that person is bringing, bringing business into the business because they're freeing up time to allow other people to bring business in. So I think everybody should have key performance indicators around their job in terms of what they do and how they're measured in their role. But it's very difficult to measure what admin type people bring in in terms of income to your business. So I like to measure that against what time they free up for other people. So if you've got your boss, the manager in the office, and they have to be constantly managing, their time is sucked into managing the admin person, then that's sucking up time that they would have been able to use to bring new business in. The admin person needs to be tracked against that because they're costing the business money without realizing. So hire fast, hire more people than you need, put them, it's almost like put them in at the deep end, see how good they are, see if they're willing to take on extra work, see if they're the person that's coming to you saying, how do I do this? Can I learn more about this? Are they looking for opportunities within your office? Or are they just gonna show up for work at nine o'clock, tick off at five o'clock, do an hour's lunch because they get an hour's lunch and, and not do any extra. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not paid to do extra. You might not be paid to do extra, but if you did extra, you might get paid more to do what you do. It's how business works. The public sector works very different to the private sector. Private sector, you get paid what you deserve. You get paid, paid based on what you are willing to do. And you can end up earning way more money than in the public sector because you're the person that can grow. I mean, I offer my staff joint venture opportunities. One of my staff, Anna, who works with me, absolutely awesome. She joint ventures with me on deals now. So she gets her wages and she gets a share of properties. So other staff members in the office then think, well, it's okay for her to do extra because she's getting a share of properties. No, she's getting a share of properties because she did extra. So it's not, oh, I'll do extra if you give me a share. No, do the extra and I'll give you a share. If you're starting out in property and you're looking for your first deal, um, then you know how many properties should you have before you hire staff? Well, Right from the start, you should be outsourcing as much stuff as possible. Don't do 10 pound jobs. Now, you wouldn't hire a full-time member of staff, but you could outsource all of your admin. You could get a virtual assistant. You can get a virtual assistant either in the UK or you could get one abroad, somewhere like the Philippines. You can hire somebody for four or 500 US dollars a month full-time to do a job abroad for you from the Philippines. Now, you might say, oh, that's very little money. Um, why would you do that? Well, that's a great wage in that country. 
They're doing the work from their country, they're living from that country, they're eating in that country, their, their rent is paid in that country. So that wage is a great wage where they are. Lots of jobs in property can be done remotely. Viewings can be booked in remotely. Admin can be done remotely. There's so much can be done. You can scrape data from online sites like Rightmove and Zoopla. You can find deals. All of this can be done remotely. So at the start of your journey, I would be looking to hire virtual assistants immediately to free up your time to focus on income generating tasks. Your job in property should be finding deals and the virtual assistant can find them for you. You just tell them what to do to find them. Your job then is the viewing. Your job is the negotiating of that deal, getting it across the line. Once you've got a deal done, you can outsource loads of stuff. You can outsource the management to other letting agencies until you've got enough properties to bring it back in-house. When you feel like you've got enough coming in to warrant hiring somebody, and it depends on your business model. If you're selling deals like deal packaging, then you might hire somebody quite quickly to do a lot of the admin and the following through of those deals. So I would say once you start to get to about three grand a month, hire someone. I, one of the big mistakes I made was I thought when I got to three grand a month, it was replace my income. And I felt I couldn't hire anybody because that money had replaced my income. And if I give it to somebody else, then I'm back to square one again. But the reality is if I had hired somebody earlier, I'd have been able to scale quicker. Because you're not actually paying somebody's wages. You are buying time. You're buying time to be able to scale your business. And the more staff you have, the more hours you can do in a week. With just five staff members, I can do a week's work every single day. Why? Because each staff member does eight hours a day. Five staff members is 40 hours. So I'm doing a 40 hour week every single day, even if I do nothing in my property business myself. So hiring staff buys time and allows you to scale. First staff member you could go for is somebody with experience in lettings, experience in property management, but maybe cannot work a normal job nine to five in an estate agency. So Example, a mum who's got a couple of kids in school, had experience, but now can't work nine to five because she has to drop the kids to school at nine in the morning or 8.30 in the morning. She's got to pick them up at three o'clock. She might have one school in, child in kindergarten, one child in main school. So she's popping to the school at 12 o'clock, one o'clock, three o'clock, different times of the day. And then she's got to cook the dinner maybe, look after the kids in the evening. But you want somebody who will do part-time work, who's flexible to be able to do some hours, maybe between 9 and 11 or 9 and 12, to do a bit between 1 and 4, to do a bit in the evening. Because tenants will often want to do viewings in the evening times. They'll want to move in and out of properties in the evening. So a really good starting point, and one I used was, experienced people who are not able to do a nine to five job, but they have got the experience, but they're flexible. That means you're not paying full-time wages. You could hire them for maybe 15, 20 hours a week. So no national insurance to pay. Um, they could come on as self-employed even if they wish and just pay uh, charge by the hour. So, and then once you start to scale up to a position where you can start to take people on on PAYE, take people on full-time basis, I would say you're looking at sort of 50 plus properties, unless you're doing something like packaging, which might be where you're packaging five or more deals a month, then you can start to take staff on full-time. 
So that's some insights into some of the challenges I'm having at the moment. Not necessarily on how to find the deals, not necessarily on how to refinance the deals or find the money for the deals, the joint venture in the private finance, but more around how to scale your business, how to keep your staff happy, and some of the challenges around those staff. I'll do more episodes on this. I'll share some more insights into maybe problem tenants and how to deal with them in future episodes. But you've been listening to the Progressive Property Podcast. I've been Kevin McDonald. You've been amazing. See you next week.